Praise the Lord and good morning. It's the day after the big storm. And I'm so thankful for the hand of the Lord. If you saw my the tree that came down on our property, you know how just excited and thankful I am for God's protection. Um, during yesterday morning's sacred ritual here, I heard the crack and the subsequent noises of the tree, but it was, uh, you know, I was trying to stay focused on what we were talking about here, and so I didn't startle or also, it was, you know, it's normal for me to hear unique sounds. I'm in a two-story house, so upstairs, um, it's normal to hear sounds upstairs that are unusual based on what the dogs are doing or if Morgan or Madison are home or something, you know, a piece of furniture being moved or there's all kinds of things. So I just you know, stay focused. When I went out to my mom's, I saw that half tree down. I'm like, oh, and I wasn't surprised by that because the middle had been rotted for a while. It's it's a wonderland tree, you know, like my imagination goes wild when I look in the middle of it and the kids love to crouch down and look into it and we talk about imaginations of what could happen in the middle of the tree and down in the earth and so that it fell, I was not shocked. Like, okay, I was expecting it to fall before. It's been through multiple hurricanes, actually. And uh, so, you know, it came down. Like, wow, oh, wow, that's impressive. Quick video of it. Like 15 minutes, I'm walking back, and the other half of the tree had fallen, and that one shocked me. <laughs> Last night, I was watching the video of... Uh, of the second, the second video I took when I was singing the second half down, and I got to laughing at my shock. <laughs> I got to laughing so hard I fell over the, I just laid on the, on the dining room table and laughed so hard at my voice in shock. <laughs> Star Marco, I mean, had no idea what was wrong with me. I just laid on that table and laughed. He's like, "This is weird, but." I was so shocked at the live trees that the dead tree took down. And of course, oh, that's going to preach all day long. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so yesterday was a, was a dramatic day. And then the Osbournes came. And first, my brother used his battery-operated chainsaw and cleared out a lot of it. Um, but then his battery died. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt sorry for the guys though you know they didn't expect for yesterday to be a shut in the house day so he I knew that he was using that chainsaw just because he needed to get some energy out and then uh, brother Osborne I, the whole family came over and they cleared that out with the big old heavy duty chainsaw really quick it was awesome so grateful. And then I got messages out of that that'll preach too. So we good to go. 
Praise the Lord. Let's continue with this chronological look at Jesus' life. We are on episode 11, and we're going to backtrack a little bit into the last episode where Jesus had read from the scroll of Isaiah. And at the end of that, there was some conversation because they were in awe of him. And he, you know, sort of put them in their place and reminded them that in the Old Testament that God was willing to go to one widow and he was willing to go to one leper and touch them, make a way for them, heal them. And uh, they did not like that because he also pointed out that in Israel, there were a bunch of widows that needed help. But the one that got help was one and was not, um, if I remember right, I actually don't have that verse pulled up right now, so I don't want to be too firm about this. I believe what he was insinuating is that she was not an Israelite. But for sure, in Luke 4.27, what he said is, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisius, um, I think he's talking about Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. So he is for sure talking about the fact that even though there were a bunch of lepers in Israel, the only one that God healed was Naaman, who was not an Israelite. He was a Syrian. Verse 28, And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of a hill whereon they their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They were going to throw him off a cliff. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. You know, they liked him when he was saying sweet things to him. I have come to heal the brokenhearted, set at liberty them that are bruised. Oh, they liked him. They were in awe of his ability to speak to their soul. But as soon as he started pointing out that being religious isn't enough, saying you're a Christian isn't enough. He is actually coming for a sincere heart and he will ignore the entire chosen people for one leper that isn't even an Israelite. They did not like that anymore. Once he started pointing out the reality of their behavior, and how their their own opinions, their own way was holding them back from getting what they needed. They were so angry. <laughs> and so, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't get that way ourselves. That we don't tell God, it's my way or the highway, God. Because God will say, okay. Because there are others who are not saying it's my way or the highway. 
There are others who are coming to God with a pure heart of hunger. And he will go to that one and just ignore the mass that is stuck in their own way. In Luke 4, we see a continuing on of what happened when Jesus passed through the midst of them and went his way. I don't know what he did to escape from them, but he just uh, he just walked out of there. Verse 31, then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. And there too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Jesus actually relocated his home base. He relocated from this city where he was about to be killed. He relocated. He got himself out of a toxic environment. And if you follow me on social media, I do a lot of posting and blogging and writing about the importance of roots and how you have to stay put for roots to grow. But even Jesus had a situation that he needed to move out of. He needed to relocate from an environment that was toxic for him, that was toxic to his ministry. And so, uh, you know, life is what it is, and you need to do what you've got to do. Um, and God will, God will be with you. Do it with a lot of counsel. I do think it is inappropriate to just constantly move um, and relocate and uproot because I, I don't think people can get good roots that way. But if you are in a toxic environment, um, I even see Jesus moving out of that. And so I say, if Jesus did, you did, because we are, after all, <laughs> trying to follow in the footsteps and, and mimic Christ as disciples. And we see, uh, again, this mentioned in Matthew 4, verses 13 through 15, Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast and the borders of Zebulon and Naphtalon, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet. So it's cool that he was forced to move because of that situation, but being forced to move put him in a place where he fulfilled a prophecy from the Old Testament. In verse 15, the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be there. And sure enough, that's where he ended up having to be. So while he is in Galilee, we see this growth, this expansion of his ministry, who he is able to minister to. In Luke 5, verse 1, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. I'm going to come back to that phrase, pressed in on him, to listen to the word of God. So 
if you can imagine a speaker trying to talk to a crowd, but they don't have a microphone system, they're trying to hear, so they're getting closer and closer, and he needs a place to go. And so what he did was he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge because the fishermen had left the boats and were over on the side washing their nets. And in verse 3, Jesus stepped into one of the boats, and he asked Simon, the boat's owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And I love Jesus understood that his voice would travel over water. That's a cool thing. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. This is this is the Lord. This is Jesus after he's ministered to the crowd. Now he has zeroed in and he's ministering to one. He is about to take care of the needs of Simon. When he had finished speaking, he said, go where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse five, master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. (laughs) He's like, look, we've been there, done that all night. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Verse 6, and this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8, when Simon realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. This, this, tenderness in Simon is why God kept using him. Simon, we see through scriptures, is just a constant hothead. He's constantly saying the wrong things. Later, we're going to see Jesus calling him Satan. Get thee behind me. (laughs) You're, oh my goodness, like he's just constantly being, uh, He's constantly emotionally charged. But that same tenderness of emotion that causes him to get angry quicker or to to speak quicker than he should, that same thing Jesus realized could be used for his glory. And I see this over and over in the kingdom of God. The same thing that we are, that is our shortcoming. It is our failure. God can use for his glory. When I am weak in my weaknesses, if I give them to him, he's able to show himself glorious through my weaknesses. And he did this with Simon, the same thing that caused Simon to to, to spout off at the drop of a hat to draw a sword and cut off a soldier's ear, that same spark of emotion causes him to be tender toward the things of God also. That's why when I see someone in great sin, you know, they're living a very sinful life. They're like a, you know, whatever goes, you know, YOLO. (laughs) you only live once, I'm out here doing it all. If I can convert them to God and truly get them to give themselves over to God, that same boldness, 
and craziness that they used out in the world, they will do that for God. They'll be that preacher, that crazy preacher. They will be that one who's not afraid to lay hands on somebody in the grocery store and let healing virtue flow. Those, they, if you've got family member, friends, coworkers that are crazy in the world, don't look at them like, oh, they'll never be saved or they could never, you know, don't, no, 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 no. The absolute way they are living out their flesh and in the world, you see that in a spiritual sense, start seeing them being the one laying hands on people in the middle of a park. Start seeing them being the one proclaiming the gospel. If, if they've got the guts to cuss somebody out in the middle of a crowd, they will have the guts to preach the gospel. <laughs> turn your thoughts, turn your, your, your spirit towards seeing that behavior being used for the kingdom of God. If, if they're a very quiet person and they're an introvert and everything's always in and you're worried about them because, you know, you don't know what they're thinking and you don't know, oh, begin to see that person in prayer like that. Begin to see the thoughts of God coming to them in prayer as they are thinking on the Lord and studying the word of God. Let your faith go about them. Simon Peter, <laughs> Simon Peter did not give his family any idea that he could be the dude preaching on the day of Pentecost, but Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. And so he, he turned his attention from the crowds to Simon. I love the Lord so much. <laughs> He turned his attention to that one man. He said, let down your nets. And then, of course, you know, it was a miracle that impressed several people, which is, again, what happens when these people of ours that we love and they are just living out a life that we can't hardly understand. When they are saved, their salvation impacts everyone. And Simon fell to his knees, that same sensitivity was actually applied here. He was immediate. He was immediately emotional. When somebody has a temper, that means their emotions are very raw. And so that same thing happened with Peter and he fell to his knees. Lord, leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you because he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. <laughs> From now on, you'll be fishing for people. I want you to claim that for your loved ones, that you just feel like it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to look for them to live for God. Oh, no. You start saying, you pull out of their yard and you're smiling and waving at them. You start saying between those smiling teeth, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. <laughs> oh, God's going to do wonderful things in your family. Oh, I love the Lord so much. Luke chapter 4, verse 33 through 41 goes on and starts talking about the things Jesus did once he had moved out of Nazareth from that toxic environment. And he was in Capernaum in the area of Galilee. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit began shouting at Jesus. So, Here's a little point of teaching. 
this is happening in the synagogue. That's the place of worship. And a man possessed by a demon is there. And I want to tell you what I've heard my dad say often before, and that is even the devil goes to church. <laughs> he has said, you know, he's talked about people saying, uh, criticizing the church because there are hypocrites there, or, you know, because people who are, who are not behaving like Christ also go to church. And he said, hey, look, Jesus had 12 saints. That's what my dad was calling them as a pastor. He oversees saints. He's like, hey, look, Jesus had 12 saints and one of them was a devil. And if, if he gets one out of every 12, then that means I get one. I have to put up with one out of every 12. So leave me alone. I'm doing my best here. <laughs> but even the devil goes to church. And to that end, let me just give a word of wisdom here. Watch your kids. Not everybody at church is doing right. Watch your kids. Don't just let, don't, don't let your kids get lost there because not everybody who goes to church is good. I heard uh, James Cleveland say one time in a concert, uh, he said he was encouraging everyone to praise the Lord. And he said, keep your eye on your wallet. Not everybody who comes to church is saved. <laughs> That's true. Keep your eye on your wallet because not everybody who comes to church is saved. I don't know if you noticed, but when I go to the altar, my purse goes with me. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. But uh, I, we, I keep pointing out this verse where Jesus said he knew humans. Like, I know humans. Human nature is human nature. And uh, yeah, even the devil goes to church. So stop being surprised that there are people who have bad behavior at the church. Stop being surprised about that. Um, it, the church is a hospital. They that are holy, not a physician. We are all there because we're trying to get God to fix something about us. For some, it's um, the fact that they that they are addicts. For others, it's uh, that they are dealing with something. For everybody, they're dealing with something that's a secret that they need God to fix. For some, it's a bad attitude, and we, you know, we're not strongly affected if the person across the aisle has a bad attitude and they're praying for God to help them over that, we're affected if somebody steals our wallet. That's when we get mad. Or if somebody touches our kids, that's when we get mad. And so I say the church is not a building full of perfect people. First of all, stop thinking that. Stop thinking the church is a place where everybody's perfect. It's not. The, the church is like Walmart. We're all trying to behave better. We're trying to access the presence of God that will indeed help us behave better. The Holy Ghost empowers us to choose to behave better, but we still, each and every one, must choose to act on that and behave better. And so, um, first of all, stop thinking and assuming that everybody at church is perfect. No, they are not. We are all trying to be better, all of us, and we are better. We are much better off than we were, but we're still striving to be better. And so the same rules that apply in Walmart when it comes to you being responsible for your family applies at church. You are responsible 
for your children. You are responsible for your marriage protection. You are responsible for your well-being. You are responsible for those things. And so, therefore, be that way, even at church. Okay. I'm going to leave James Varnum's soapbox now. (laughs) So even the devil comes to church. And the devil said out in the middle of church through this person, the demon-possessed man, go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that moment, the demon threw the man on the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Okay. I'm going to address demon possession right now. Because of my experience and upbringing, I find it absolutely ridiculous and appalling that people act like delivering someone from an evil spirit is this whole spectacle that takes hours. It does not. We do not see it once taking hours. It is a very brief description. The devil threw the man on the floor. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. So this is why I am not afraid of the devil. Because uh, I grew up with a dad who taught me not to be afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of people who have an evil spirit. Later, we'll get to the man who had legions of devils in him. And that, again, was not this hours and hours dramatic event. People who do that, uh, let let me tell you a brief story. So when my dad was a young pastor, I was a child. There was a man who came to our church possessed with a devil and did all the things that I've heard happening in other churches. You know, took literally hours. Several men from the church are standing around him. He truly did have super strength. He was throwing very strong men off of him. All of the kind of things that you see that are dramatic and um, that was happening. He was foaming at the mouth. He was, you know, screeching in weird voices. All, All the things that you would see that's dramatic he was doing. And they actually made all the children leave. They took us out. I think that was wisdom. They took us to a Sunday school room. A children's minister took us over there and We had no idea what was going on. We saw the start of it, but we didn't see the whole thing. And I think that's very smart that children not be a part of that. Um, Well, that young man, he was a young man. He was a teenager. Ended up coming to a peaceful place where they felt like he was delivered. In the middle of the night, and I know this because my dad's the pastor, middle of the night, he goes home very deliberately, puts on the exact same music that he said he put on when the spirits entered him. I believe if I remember right, it was the soundtrack to The Exorcist, or I mean to to Poltergeist. It was, this is back in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. Anyway, goes back very deliberately, puts on the exact same music to invite these spirits. Parents are calling my parents in the middle of the night. His parents are calling my parents in the middle of the night. I, of course, am a child. I'm dropped off at the babysitter. Parents go over there to pray. And uh, I actually don't know the outcome of that. I, I assume everything became peaceful again. I don't know. But 
my dad learned something valuable from that situation. And that is a person has to want deliverance for true deliverance. As long as a person does not want deliverance, all of the Holy Ghost filled people in the room are not going to give that human uh, relief. There's going to be the struggle. And we know that, again, we'll talk about this when they, when we get to the place where Jesus goes to the man called Legion. But when a person wants deliverance, their will, their will is stronger than the devil. And they just come to Jesus. So the next, within the week, the, the, that original young man's friend came to service and started acting the same way. My dad walked back to him and said, you sit down and you shut up. If you want deliverance, you can come to the altar and repent like everybody else. And that young man sat down and shut up (laughs) and came to the altar and repented like everyone else. (laughs) There's another story I love of that happening. And um, a a man, not at Souls Harbor, this is in another apostolic church, but um, it was, I believe it was Brother Kraft. He actually just passed, went on to his heavenly reward just a couple weeks ago. But um, I've not heard this story straight from him, but I have heard it from a lot of the students that were in Bible college at the time. And uh, he was president of a Bible college. So there were a lot of, of young people there from all over the United States attending that Bible college. And they saw this man come in full of the devil and acting out and Brother Kraft walked over him and whispered in his ear. And that man just, I can't remember if he sat down or he left, but either way, all Brother Kraft did was whisper something in his ear and bam, like it was done. And all the Bible college students were all just a buzz about how powerful Brother Kraft was. Oh, what a mighty man of God. Brother Kraft addressed the student body the next morning. And he said, um, he said, I hear people are talking about how much power I have. He said, I just thought you should all know what I said. I told him, if you don't sit down or leave, whatever it was, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> so a person that has demon possession, that whole drama does not need to happen because if they are wanting deliverance, it is it is going to happen very easily. It is going to happen very easily. And that's why I have never been, I have never been afraid of running into people that I can tell they are possessed. I, it's happened to me multiple times, sometimes while ministering, sometimes while, um, you know, in a store or whatever, I can see that spirit looking at me. That spirit knows I am full of the Holy ghost. And I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm not here for a fight. I'm not here to make a scene. And if that person doesn't want deliverance, you know, if they want to go back to the lifestyle that they've been living, me, you know, creating a scene right here is not going to help anything. So we all just pass each other and go on their way. Verse 36, amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. And that is how it should still be. The evil spirits will leave if the person that is housing them are surrendered and wanting that to occur. 
The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue that way, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. And so he rebukes the fever. He heals her. And then verse 40, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, you are the son of God, because they knew he was the Messiah. <laughs> James 2.19 says, you believe there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. I'm not afraid of the devil. If you are filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, you have taken on the name of Jesus through water baptism. And therefore, you should not be afraid of the devil either. You just speak the name of Jesus. You just declare the name of Jesus because the devils are afraid of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sicknesses, all manner of disease among the people, and his fame throughout all Syria. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those which had the palsy and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Judea and from Jerusalem and from beyond Jordan. So all of these people are coming for healings. And I just want to point this out Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Begin asking the Lord for your miracle and don't stop asking. And also don't expect God to... People often want to know why, you know, a land has famine. If God is, is just, why, why do people die with sicknesses? Why... Why do people die with famine? Why we, the consistent thing we see about God and his interaction with humanity is that people come to God. When people come to God, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I mentioned earlier to remember the phrase that they pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. They initiated this. You have not because you ask not. We see in the wilderness, God provided manna, but then they had to go out and gather it every day. God provided manna, but he didn't provide it cooked, warm in their oven. There is always something that humanity needs to do. God will work on your behalf, but this is such an important concept. You must understand God is a partner with you, not a fairy godmother. God is a partner with you, not a fairy godmother. So go get it. Go to church. 
go to prayer, go to fellowship, get wherever you need to go get it. It's provided. The fruit of the spirit is available, but you've got to go get it. You have got to draw near to God for him to draw near to you. I want to end with with one more point of direction. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and this is also recorded in Luke 40, in Luke 4, verse 42, in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, Jesus went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. As you can imagine, having this throng of people constantly pressing in on you. Jesus exemplified to us who minister what we need to do. As a minister, even Jesus got tired. And if Jesus got tired as a minister, then those who are involved in ministry need to understand that it's normal and that you have to take care of the earthen vessel that the treasure is in. God has placed this treasure, this treasure to help people, heal people, bless people, minister to people. He's placed this treasure in earthen vessels. And so we have to take care of the earthen vessel. There's a book that my mother made me read, my brother read. I mean, she was making, she made all all of her kids read. And then we all have in turn passed it on. It's a book called Leading on Empty. It's by Wayne Cordero. Honestly, I've never heard his name pronounced, so I'm going to spell his last name, C-O-R-D-E-I-R-O, Wayne Cordero, Leading on Empty. And it's about how when you give out to people, you do come to a place where you are empty. And just because you're doing God's work doesn't mean that you do not also need to unplug from everybody, go away and get alone with God. And don't forget that ministry does not take the place of prayer. Ministry feels good. Ministry is exciting, but it does not take the place of prayer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for being a part of what the Lord is doing. Have a great day. God bless.